Okay. So today we're going to um, focus in on a picture of Rabbi Vigdor Miller. Rabbi Vigdor Miller lived from 1908 to 2001. He was born in America. Uh, he went to Yeshivas here, and then he went to Slabatka in Europe. Um, and then the war broke out, and he came back, and um, he ended up originally being the Mashkiach in Chaim Berlin under Rav Hutner. And then eventually he he became a Rav in a shul in Flatbush in Brooklyn. And from this shul, he was able to spread his unique Torah and Ashkafa to the world at large. How did he do that? Well, first of all, in the shul itself, he had very committed balabatim, and these balabatim loved him, and they went to all of his shirim, and they listened to him, and he made them into Bnei Taira, meaning he took balabatim that were maybe learning very little, if at all, and he started like teaching them. They would come to his classes, his shirim. They would make siyumim on many mesechtas, on the whole shas, um, and he really like molded them into uh, into people that were bnei Taira. Um, and so that was one thing that he did. Another thing that he did was he, you know, today we take for granted that there is uh, technology that spreads the Dvar Hashem to the whole world. So if you're on Torah anytime, or if you are on um, Lander Torah, or you are on Wayu Torah, or, uh, or any, other, any of the many, many, many uh, different you know, uh, um, apps and, uh, and websites that have so many shirim on them. So we take it for granted that we can have access to shirim any time of the day, any any Rebbe, any Rav, any, any inspirational speaker on any topic, on Shurim, on Gemara, Lamdis, Halacha, Musar, Machshava, these are all things that we assume, you know, has always been that way, but it hasn't. And one of the very early, if not possibly the earliest person to utilize the technology that existed at the time, which was very primitive compared to what we have today, was Rabbi Victor Miller. When I was a kid, they had um, tapes, which you probably have seen them, maybe there's like rectangular things that you put in a tape recorder, and uh, those tapes were um, produced by the shul that Rav Miller was the Robin, and they were numbered. So like every, every shear had a different number, and people would order them to be mailed to them. You know, I don't know if they would do a one, sh- you know, a couple of tapes a week, or they'd buy a whole series at a time. But people all over the world and all over America, every city had access to the unique hashkafa. We'll talk about that in a second of Victor Miller, and they considered him as rabbi, him their rabbi because. You know, they he was like maybe the only if you're if you're in a out you know, a place outside of the regular Jewish major Jewish communities, if you're sitting in uh, I don't know, New Mexico somewhere and you have no access to any real Tyra, so then if you'd get a tape in the mail every week or so, 
you would listen to it and listen to it again and again and again until you wear it out. And many people love the Shirim of Vigda Miller. He, he was very articulate. His English was perfect. He spoke a little slow. You know, they didn't have the technology to speed up uh, things like they do today, but I'm sure Shirim would have been a lot more popular. The reason why he spoke slowly was by design. He would, it's a, it was very interesting. If you listen to his Shirim, there was like a, like a few seconds at between sentences, like he would say one sentence, there would be a period at the end of the sentence, and then you would wait um, like a few seconds before he starts the next sentence. And somebody explained to me that the reason that he did that was he didn't say anything unless he thought it through first. So, you know, we might have a whole stream of consciousness, so we might talk and ramble and ramble and ramble. We have no idea what's coming out, how it's coming out, the way it's coming out. He wanted to make sure that the sentence was perfectly um, set up and prepared before it came out of his mouth. So he waited, he thought about it, and then he emitted it. Then he, he, he said it. The uniqueness of Rav Miller he had many uniquenesses in terms of his style of shirim. The first thing that made him very special was that he was not afraid to speak his mind. He wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't trying to be politically correct. If he had an opinion about something, he would say it, and sometimes he would say it in a very explicit manner, in a very graphic manner, um, and it would sometimes be controversial. Many people would maybe uh, not be so happy with it, but he didn't care. He said it, you know, if he felt that something was wrong, he'd say it was wrong. And um, if, he'd, if he'd have a belief in terms of hashkafa or history, he was an expert in world history. He wrote many svarim uh, showing the entire evolution of Jewish history and how every single facet of history was Bashkach al how it was all manipulated by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, orchestrated by Hashem. But he would, like, he came out with a book posthumously. There was a book that was recently released by him within the last 10 years. He died in 2001, so that's about 22 years ago, 23 years ago, but he, um, he once, he, he wrote a whole book called, um, uh, anyone know what it's called? It was about the Holocaust, something, the uh, um, div- maybe Divine Insanity or something like that, a very controversial type of uh, uh, title. And his basic premise of the book was that, that the Holocaust um, happened as a result of of people not not being uh, observant, meaning as a result of reform and uh, conservative movements that were just you know that were arising over the last hundred years before the Holocaust, uh, that's why Akedat Shparfu unleashed the Holocaust. And a lot of people, obviously, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that. You know, whether I believe it or not is irrelevant. But I would never say it in public because the the flack that you would get. For saying such a thing, and understandably so, you're touching, uh, uh, you know, a live wire. Uh, you're getting yourself into trouble uh, because it's who knows, like, why the Holocaust happened. To start for any human being to start explaining how six million innocent Jews could be killed for this reason or for that reason is is 
you know, something that most people would, would frown on, but he felt this way, Ravigda Miller, and he wrote a book about it, and, uh, and it was very popular, I think. People, you know, people bought it, and um, it's not really his own Chiddush. There are a lot of people that set it besides for him, but that's just one example. So he was very, very, he didn't care about what people said. He had his own shul. He had no boss except for Hashem, and he basically said whatever he wanted. And these tapes that he said it on um, were very widespread. At the end of every shear, he also had a Q&A. That was also, I guess, a, an innovation. I don't know if anyone ever did that before him. Uh, they would ask any question that they wanted. Um, I remember like one good question that I enjoyed. Now, today you could get... Uh, all these questions, they have books that, you know, that they transcribed all these questions and answers. Uh, and you can buy, you can get these weekly newsletters, right? You know, and they're very popular also, right? Victor Miller for, for, what are they called every week? Um, I know the books, I think, are like Thursday nights for Victor Miller, I think, but I don't know the... Something. So, anyway, they have a few of these questions. I remember one question that I found intriguing was, you know, what, how it is that it could rain on Shabbos if that's Zaire, you're not allowed to you're not allowed to water the grass on Shabbos. So how could how could it rain ever on Shabbos? So the answer that Rabbi Miller gave is the answer is you have like is that this might be surprising to you, but God does not have to keep the Torah. Hashem doesn't have to give the we have to keep the Torah. Hashem gave the Torah to human beings, to mortals. To observe and to keep, but he does. He's not. He does. He's not bound himself by the Torah. Um, but that's uh, that. So these are all very unique qualities of Victor Miller. But where Victor Miller, I think, um, maybe is most famous for, is that he was a, an expert in nature, and he looked at nature as a reflection of the greatness of Hashem. And he found inspiration in every single thing about nature. So if it's the fact that Hashem could have made all fruits the same exact color, you could have a yellow banana, apple, green pepper, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and kumquat and kiwi, and nobody would complain, but Hashem made every single fruit a beautiful, different shade so, uh, of you know, so a strawberry has its unique, beautiful color, and an orange, and a grapefruit, and a lemon, and an estrogen, and uh, a kiwi, and all these HaKadosh Baruch Hu made with special color in order to give us hana, to give us pleasure from the fruit, to show his artistry, to show aesthetics that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has, and the taste of each fruit is different, and the um, consistency of each fruit, right? A peach is not the same consistency as an apple, which isn't the same consistency as an orange, which isn't as a banana. Everyone has their own unique, you know, it's Hashem's candy. I always say, like, you can have, like, this type of candy, and it's, you know, it's pretty good, but nothing compares to, like, a real, like, a fruit, which is fresh and good, like a, a good pineapple or a good, uh, you know, orange. Uh, there's nothing like it. It's sweet, it's delicious. HaKadosh Baruch made it, it's organic, it's healthy, and... You know, there is something uh, to be said about appreciating all these things. We can go through our whole life and not really ever stop to appreciate these things. The, you know, the taste of different things, the color of different things, and the consistency, and the, uh, the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes a banana with a shell, 
you know, with a peel. If you open the peel, what happens to it? And after a few minutes, you come back. The banana is what? It's it's brown. It's soft. You don't want to look at it anymore, right? But until you open it, it's in like a perfectly sealed container, the perfect thickness that it needs to contain its freshness, and it's delicious. And once you open it, now all of a sudden it starts to spoil immediately. So all these things, you know, the way that uh, each fruit is shaped and the peel and the... It, there is amazing beauty in that, and he, he showed the same thing for fish and the same thing for animals and the same thing for insects and, 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 and different types of trees and fauna. He knew about everything. He was an expert in everything, and he wrote, there have been books that have been published just about Victor Miller's take on nature. So there is a video, and you can actually um, see it online, if you uh, if like, if you're interested, you go to YouTube and you type in Victor Miller Apple, and it's like it's been viewed like I don't know a million times. It's a very popular video. So what I did was I took a still from the video at the end of the video when he actually holds up the apple and he smiles. Um, but you could see it online. This is basically uh, what he said, okay, during this this brief video. And this is, again, this is like the shul in the background, the Arunach He used to sit up front and he smiled. He had a beautiful smile. His teeth, by the way, he was a tzad. Everybody knew he was a tzaddik. He had perfect teeth his whole life. He never had dentures. His, he, he never had a cavity. He kept his teeth perfectly. His beard, you know, here he was already an old man. His beard was still very black, like Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky, Yibad Shmuel Kamenetsky is a man probably in his mid-90s. His beard is, is, is almost fully black. I don't think that exists in, you know, in, in the entire world. Now it may be grayed a little bit, but until he was in his mid-80s, it was like a perfectly black beard. That's, you know, people that are tzaddikim have that special ability to, uh, to stay young and to stay healthy and to stay strong. I was once, once actually sitting next to Shmuel Kamenetsky by a uh, like a breakfast, like for a yeshiva, and somebody offered, maybe it was me even, to pour him some orange juice. And there were those the hard plastic disposable cups, you know, on the, by the bris, or by by the by the table there. And he, before I poured it, he looked at the bottom of the cup for a second. He said, "Okay, you can pour me." So I said, "What's at the bottom of the cup? Like, what what, what was the yeshiva looking at?" So apparently there is different numbers on cups on the bottom to uh, show different, I don't know, like the purity of the, the refinement of the plastic or something. And some numbers are better than others in terms of health. And his wife, uh, who was Nifteris maybe a year ago, uh, she was very, very into health. And she would make sure she would protect him and make sure that he didn't have drink out of a plastic cup if it was a certain grade beneath you know the standard grade. So that was interesting. But so listen to what he says. Suppose when you are eating an apple, you bite on something hard, and you take out of your mouth a silver dollar. And all of a sudden, you bite on something hard while you're eating an apple. And all of a sudden, like. Hmm, that's strange. There's a silver dollar inside the apple. So, that would isn't that a strange accident? You would say like, come on, that's impossible, right? Nobody would ever believe in a million years that there was a silver apple inside of an a silver dollar inside of an apple. 
The truth is, he said, an accident has taken place that's a million times more remarkable. If you think that's an accident, then listen to this accident. You find inside an apple seeds. In this seed is coded on the DNA molecule all the plans for producing an apple tree. Instructions that would fill 10,000 fat reference volumes. And it's all right here on this seed. So if you take one seed out, what is that seed? You say it's a seed, you know, you spit it out. Inside of that seed is 10,000 textbooks of how to make an apple tree. Because if you plant that seed and you water it and you give it the right sunlight, it will produce an apple tree. How does that little seed, how is it able to produce an apple tree that will produce itself, you know, thousands of apples? How do you do that? So obviously there's a tremendous amount of chachma that's embedded in every seed for that to happen. And it's all right here on the seed. It's unbelievable. But not only does the seed have the 10,000 volumes of instructions, the seed possesses all the factories and laboratories to create new trees. All of that's in the seed. Without the seed, you would never be able to plant an apple tree. So you take a little seed inside the apple that everybody throws out, and you, you realize that you're, what you really have thrown out, what you really had in your hand, was 10,000 volumes of text about how to, how to grow an apple tree, and also the ability that it has to grow. I mean, it's not just information. It's not just that you have a, a flash drive in the apple tree, in, in, the, in the apple seed that has information, but it's a flash drive that actually has the factory in it to build an apple tree. Think about that a second. It's an amazing thing. And everything is here for the grand purpose of opening up our eyes to recognize a great designer, with a capital D. And then Rabbi Miller lifts up an apple, as seen in this photo, and proclaims with a broad smile, a masterpiece. Looks almost natural. And everybody laughed, and including himself. And that was, uh, that was the... Uh, so.